Blog Talk Radio. Well, welcome everyone. This is David Jamison, Doctor of Natural Medicine, aka Doctor Truth, and I am blessed today to have Marla Fries on the show. She is the author of the book American Psychic. Uh, she is a past actress. A what would you say, Marla? How many commercials? Fifty. <laughs> well, well, uh, former former actress. Former. Right, form. you're making, I the form. Yeah, you're making me step back. Like you know, I left the business in 2002, but. Yes, anybody that was alive between 1989 and 2002 saw me on conceivable shows, and I sold them everything from toothpaste to beer. Right, exactly. Commercial. Like, would you say to me, <laughs> so I've been selling things to you for two decades, something like that? Yeah. But uh, yeah, exactly. Anyway, yeah. we have a lot to go over today. Lots and lots to go over, and I'm going to get started right away with Marla and let her speak because. I there's Marla, I just have to tell you, I don't normally get bent out of shape when I read a book. And when I I literally couldn't put your book down. And wow. I know I mentioned to you it's and like you even mentioned in, in your in the book that people will come up to you and they start speaking because they think that they that you know them. Well, that's exactly how you put this book together. It's like I know Marla now. And the they like I was saying, I I watch a lot of that goofy, impractical jokers. You know, it's four comedians that mess with each other. And and uh, we'll, my, I'll be out with my sons and I'll say, oh, remember the time Sal did this or Joe did that? My sons will say, Dad, they're not your friends. And I go, well, they kind of are. They just don't know it. So you have been my friend for a while since I've been reading this book, Marla. And it's fascinating. It's almost like you're speaking for people. That's that's the best way I can describe it is you're actually a voice. And that's funny because you mentioned the voice, but you're a voice for people that are hurting and you're a voice for people that are trying to get better and you're a voice for people that are confused. And it's beautiful and it's lovely, just like you. Vi- like what I write down, vivacious, strong, beautiful, oh. tough, and psychic. So, oh, uh, you know what? I'm I'm overwhelmed. I'm actually um, very emotional just hearing you say that. So, thank you, thank you so much. That's I think that's why I wrote the book. Thank you. It, great. You know, I've got several different, probably twenty quotes from your book written down, and I want to start out with the first one on page thirty-two, just to get going here, because I know we're going to go off on so many different subjects. But on page thirty-two, okay. you say. You say, life never stays the same. And when things go wrong, we react. I went back to an old pattern, going unconscious, choosing not to see, ignoring the red flags, pretending, and hoping. Mm -hmm. And, you know, being a doctor of natural medicine, I see that with people's health all the time. They'll run into a situation, and then they'll come in, and, and they will gain their weight back, or they'll be toxic again, or they'll start feeling unhealthy. And I'll say, what happened? And it'll be in an event, and it's a reaction to an event. And right. this, this, that's one thing I found profound in, in your book is that I don't even know if you notice the depth and the breadth of some of your quotes. And can you well, listen, listen. You, you, you brought up something very important, but I want, I want the readers to hear the rest of that. And it is hope was my way of focusing on something in the future that did not exist yearning for something to change to get me out of that nightmare i was not capable as a child of doing anything about the trauma in my life so i acted my way through what i could and i prayed for god to change the rest but i was an adult now and still trying to cut deals with god i prayed like a whiny petulant child for things to go my way Please get me out of this mess. Can't you just make things go smoothly? Can't I get a break? Blah, blah, blah. When in fact things were not going my way because they weren't supposed to go my way. My prayers were being answered, just not the way I wanted. It's the damnedest thing. 
We act insane about our agendas instead of seeing the truth and dealing with it. That is exactly what happened throughout my entire life. I had prayed for change and gotten it. Spirit was working for me even when I wasn't. Absolutely. So basically you could summarize that and say you got out of the way. I yeah. Mean, that's well, that's just it. Exactly. That's a good way to put it. Yep. Got out of the way. Right. It takes a long time to figure out how to do that, David. Exactly. And that leads me to all the way to the back of the book, page 312. And that's <laughs> oh a line. <laughs> the one line, the knowing of things is never about ego satisfaction. And that's profound. In fact, I was, I was listening to uh, um, wisdom teachings. I was watching a wisdom teachings by David Wilcock today. He was talking about the same thing, that whenever you try to help and be a teacher to help people, society tries to beat you down and say, oh, it's just ego, or they think they're cool, or they know better than everyone. And and I'm sure you felt that when it first started happening. You probably still do. Well, it's curious. And David Wilcock has really danced around with his own ego. So, mm-hmm. you know, the knowing of things is it's not ego satisfaction. It's actually harder when the information is about someone that is close to me, someone that I love, because being right is just about information. So, that's what we're all figuring out in our lives. You know, people are not taught these abilities, David. We are not taught in our Judeo-Christian world how to pay attention to our intuition. And, you know, the, the book is, no, as we're, you know, we're told to, goes on. We're told goes, to not use it, right? Wouldn't you, wouldn't you go as far well, to say that we're not supposed to use it? Well, I think that, yeah, in, in this as Judeo-Christian world, as I was just mentioning, we are taught that we are supposed to listen to someone else's teachings or some text when, in fact, our intuition is our birthright. It's our connection to God. You know, there are lots of stories in, in, in the Bible, lots of stories in the Bible, and the Bible is filled with vision and intuition. And yet, in this day and age, they are still trying to control how people access information. Absolutely. We're doing, and, it, we're doing it in our news stations. Instead oh, yeah. of actually going, oh, my God, I want the truth, and us looking for the information, doing our own research, we look to someone else to give us that. And I, when I work with people, I'm a guide, I'm a tool, but I try to help people see their own intuition, David, and that's what right. you're doing. I mean, as doctor of truth, you're showing them the facts from where you see it, you're giving them the history, and they have to start feeling it inside their body. Right. And to, to add on to that, that's perfect timing because the very next paragraph, and I have this circled like three times, where you say okay. it's funny, oh God. but when it's funny, but when we try to hide or protect ourselves, or I'm sorry, it's funny, but what we try to hide or protect ourselves from often becomes the very thing our life is about. Until we face yeah. those hidden secrets and fears, they seem to hold us hostage. But the fact is, we're not hostages; we're accomplices. So. That that's profound. It yes. becomes consciously. Wait about. a second. Hold on. Consciously or unconsciously, we are accomplices, plunging headfirst into the many quandaries that we find ourselves in. Heck yeah. You know, I Absolutely. love that term accomplice. I've been I've been talking about accomplice, and well, we've all been looking at you know where's our responsibility about various things, but you know when. When you're driving the car to a robbery and the people in the car go in and rob and they end up killing somebody, even though you're driving the car, you're an accomplice to that robbery and that murder. You're going to jail. So we are responsible for everything that we do, 
even though we hook up in bad relationships, we said yes to that, right? Exactly. So we all ha- we all have to take responsibilities for you know because we love to blame other people, but we are a part of that. We made that decision, even in coming into our family dynamics, which is really you know my book is a memoir. It 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 was best um, it was a bestseller on Amazon in mental and spiritual healing and um, and also ESP, but people don't really know it's a memoir, and I wrote it so that people would go on the ride with me to see all the dumbass things I did and for them to think of them to themselves, wow, if Marla can survive that, I certainly can. So Absolutely. there's something about something about picking our families that, you know, there's some of that that I talk about, past life stuff, pre-life stuff. Um, Dr. Brian Weiss, who I've worked with many times, I had a life-altering experience with him. And thinking, David, that we pick our parents, how do your, how do your listeners feel about that? Uh, you know, the people that come to my clinic are a little bit more in tune and a little bit out of the matrix, more than what you would mm. see in mainstream. So they're, most of them are in tune with things like that. Not they're all, hip to that, yeah. Yeah. Okay. But, you know, that leads us, you know, we're, so let's take a step towards what we need to do. And yeah. like you wrote on page 60, that <laughs> we are all okay, bruised. Okay, you could flip back there. We're all yeah, bruised. I, I did, I got it. All right. And we have to do the work to find a way to love ourselves. Okay? Yeah. We have to do the work to love ourselves. This is, and see what we're taught in society. Oh, go to this place and you're forgiven and you can just keep acting the same way. Go to this doctor, take this pill, and you could still eat McDonald's every day. It's like we're not accountable. Mm-hmm. And I love the fact that you put here, we are all bruised and we have we're to do bruised. the work yeah. to find, oh, to love ourselves. It's got nothing to do with anyone else. We need to love do, ourselves. Do you know, do you know Gabor Mate? Do you know the doctor Gabor Mate? He's written a, a number of different. Well, he's written a number of books, but you will really enjoy this. Um, and at my age, I'm still figuring this out. But my um, my sensibilities about the body being able to say no was going on at a very young age. Dr. Mate has written a book called When the Body Says No. And our bodies literally are like Geiger counters. And that's one of the things, you know, anybody that picks up American Psychic, they go on this ride with me and they see that trauma inevitably is what heightened my sensitivities to be so psychic. So we have a lot of people walking around that have been traumatized due to war, due to abuse. And, you know, oftentimes we try to medicate these things to make ourselves feel better. When in fact, we need to be expressing all of this and getting guidance about how to work with these sensitivities in order for us not to medicate ourselves. So the body, the body is constantly telling us, you know, it's interesting. I don't write much about my marriage in the book, but there were, there is a little bit that I speak about it is toward the end where I was having heart pain. I mean, I actually had three months of vertigo where I couldn't do anything except sit on my deck of my house and paint it. I couldn't stand. I couldn't walk. I couldn't drive. And then I had heart pain for two months. This was my body saying, don't marry him. Mm. But in fact, I pushed forward and I did. I had to. And of course, you know, we choose our we choose the path that we go down. But my body was telling me not to do this. Right. And this right. is something that happens to all of us, right? I mean, our bodies start to shut down, whether it's sexually, whether it's emotionally, when we are not supposed to be with certain people. But our bodies are doctor counters. Hello? Hello? Hello. Yes. And Hello. The thing. Hello. I lost. Marla. Hello. Oh yeah. Yes. Oh, I'm okay. here. Can you hear me, I lost Marla? You. Yes. Yeah, I can sorry hear about you. that. And um, the the interesting thing was right on the, the next page after that, uh, 
was that Rumi quote where he says the wound is the place where the light enters you. And mm-hmm. so if, if you even go a step further on that, like you were saying, the wound is what gave you the ability to have the, this perception and these, these tools, these gifts. So the wound actually yeah. invites the light. Yes. And, well, and it, it, isn't that curious? It, isn't that mm-hmm. curious? Because, you know, like the first part of my book, I call blind sighted, which is a medical term that means a blind person who has the ability to perceive a light source. So here right. we are walking around in our darkness in our, in our life, looking for the light, trying to feel our way through it. And the second half of the book is called Insight. The second half of this book really starts when I start to heal the wound, when I am cognizant of the wound, when I decide, oh, my God, I'm in so much trouble. I need therapy. I need life coaching. And it, I happen to understand that my body can't take anymore. I can't keep bringing people into my life. I was at a crucial uh, point, mid, uh, the beginning of my 30s, when I had to start looking at, oh, excuse me, I'm really messed up here. And it's when I started healing myself, when all this psychic stuff really started pouring in because I made room for it, David. I started to heal the pain. I started to let the light in. Hello, David. Hi, David. I'm here. Hello. I got hung up on. Hello. Hello. David. Hello. Hello, David. David. Hello. David. Hello, David. Hello. David. Marla, are you there? Well, everyone, I apologize, severely apologize. I I am sorry, but we've had some technical difficulties here in the last 30 seconds. I lost connection and uh, appears Marla has, and I'm going to hope that she calls back in here shortly. There she is. David, David, I'm Marla. here. I'm here. Marla, good. I'm here. Good, good, good. <laughs> I got you. Yeah, I so, lost you. Okay. Apologize for that two minutes there, guys. So, but we're talking. Okay, so let's let's go to the next quote. And I love this because this yeah. is how I practice in, in my clinic, okay. and I preach this over and over and over that the universe works from subtle to gross. Okay, it goes intelligence to energy to matter. And right now, and I'm just speaking from a, a healing side, okay. modern medicine attacks matter. It cuts, burns, poisons, medicates matter. And then we all know about mm-hmm. uh, energy, like Reiki, pranic healing, energy healing. But the key is, is there's still intelligence telling that energy how to vibrate. And I love this on page 216. It's exactly what I would have written where you say, or this came from the Portuguese man, that spoke to you after the psychic surgery. And he said, disease comes from negativity in your etheric field, negativity of thought, word, or action, either Mm -hmm. your own or someone else's energy. And so that will lead us, I'm sure later in our conversation about the energy from the dead, even. Correct. Oh yeah. Well, well, Mm -hmm. yeah, well, good. I, I, I love that you're, you brought that up. First off, you know, um, when people go on this ride, they will come to the realization that 
because this was all happening to me, I really needed help. And it was the military psychic spies, the remote viewers, that helped give me context to what was happening to me. But then I started working with a physicist by the name of Tom Campbell. And Tom basically believes that we're in a virtual reality. So in his vernacular, this larger consciousness system that most of us call God is a system that we are working with all the time. So we have non-physical matter reality, which is the information that we are seeing, feeling, and hearing that is not matter. And how we make things physical matter reality takes intention. So we are having intention around non-physical matter reality, making it intention, intention. So when we are in pra- when we practice healing or when we're in healing seminars with Tom Campbell or doing this on our own, we're literally seeing the body of a person. We've never met them before. Or, or we can even just look at a cutout um, or a gingerbread outline of a person on a white sheet of paper. It is our intention that we are sending that energy of healing, that intention that is so powerful that harnesses that universal uh, larger consciousness system to do our bidding, to assist us, to help us. And it's a lot more uh, integrative than we even know. It is by intention. You know, maybe some of the listeners know who Lynn McTaggart is with The Power of Eight or Bruce Lipton or Rupert Sheldrake or, or Greg Braden. They all talk about this. So, yes, the etheric, the, the energies that are, not, that are non-physical, we can certainly talk about that. But that's the basis of making things happen. It is intention. And it was in my spirit, in my soul, even as a child, where I wanted to help. I wanted to make things better. And that's always been my intention. And, of course, you know, sometimes we come up against things that we can't change. But when I work with people, because I work all over the world by phone, of course, I'm, I'm leaving um, in, in a week and I'm going back east and I'll be seeing people in small groups and large groups. But when I work over the phone, it is always my intention, as I do when I see people in person, to bring you information for your highest good. So I ask the people that I'm working with, to intention, pray, meditate. Those three things are the same as far as I'm concerned. Ah. So it's in that, it's in that that we are asking this larger consciousness system, God, the universe, spirit, to work Source with field. us. Right. Yes. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And when see in in Ayurveda, you know I practice Ayurveda, where yeah. The ancient texts say that even when you eat, before you start eating, you visualize the food and what you'd like it to do inside your body, and you can oh, direct it wonderful. to heal. Yeah. And there's yeah. a method where you take a deep breath, then you basically give thanks, and I'm sure that's where all that came from originally. But it's amazing when you do it, how you don't get indigestion. I mean, I imagine if you wolf down some nachos, you're still going to get indigestion. <laughs> but if you're having a real meal... And yet there's intention. You eat differently. Everything's different. You're absorbing it differently. And that's really well, I interesting. Want, I, I want to acknowledge you. I want to acknowledge you for what you're doing or what you're trying to help people do. Because I'd say that 80% of the people are unconscious about what their food is doing to them. Seriously. Oh, yeah. I don't think that they are taught what we in our, you know, anytime we get past 50 years old, it's kind of like now we're figuring things out because we have to. But right. <laughs> unless, you're, unless, you're, unless you're being given information about your food, unless you're being taught, you know, about cooking, uh, the food itself, where it's coming from, understanding GMOs, understanding geophosphates, understanding what is happening um, by the abuse of companies who are genetically modifying seeds and, and doing terrible things to our, to our food, unless you do the education, you won't know how to take care of yourself. So I'm acknowledging right. you, David. Thank you for being Dr. Truth. Thank you for putting it out there and making people understand it is up to us 
We can't. It is. We can't. We cannot not rely on the government to protect us. We can't rely on anyone because everyone's digestion is different. Everyone is different. You have right. to get into your own groove. And the difficult thing is that, like Einstein said, you can't use the same brain or same mind that created the problem to fix the problem or something along those lines. So it's very difficult. <laughs> That's why dealing, you know, we're working with someone like you or working with someone like me, where you, and that you bring. I've got awareness written down in your book several times. You kept talking about awareness, and that's what we talk about on the healing side, on this side, mm-hmm. is that right. you bring awareness to something, you're 80% of the way there. Because a lot well, of times you, they're not even aware. If you, don't, if you don't get aware, you can't change it. You can't change anything that you're not aware of. Once you're aware no. of it, then you can change it. It's kind of yeah, like, exactly. you know, the toilet paper on your shoe. You can walk around with the toilet paper on your shoe, and unless somebody says, hey, you got toilet paper on your shoe, <laughs> you're not going to get it off. I mean, that's – Good that's analogy. I'm going to use that. Like, well, yeah, good, yeah. There Please you go. Do. Yeah. The toilet paper on the shoe. Right. Well, do this because a lot of people want to hear about your psychic stuff. Can you just give us okay. like a – run down on what your specialty is, how you speak to dead people, how you work oh, with them. And oh. and I was also very intrigued that by helping the dead people heal, that it heals us in this incarnation. Yeah. And it actually okay. helps them set up for samsara, right? Okay, good. Yeah. Well, all right. Well, first off, I want um, your listeners to know that this was not, not, not something that I believed in. I was raised in Bedford, Pennsylvania, in a small town that basically, you know, the, the closest city is Altoona, and that's about 40 minutes away. But when I was growing up, Pittsburgh was the closest hub of metropolitan awareness. And when you're isolated that, like that, you, you're basically, you have, we had three television channels at the time, and we had churches, and church was our um, connection to God. So I was raised Lutheran. And then I went through being a born-again Christian and, you know, and then continued to explore my, my awareness. I had an experience that, that basically gave me the idea at 14 that there was something much stronger, bigger than me when I was saved in a horse accident. So that was my first initial awareness that something was bigger than myself, but I didn't really come to this awareness until the mid-90s when I had a situation where I was stalked. I was stalked by an individual who basically threatened my life. And at that point, my fear became my gift because it was that psychic awareness of saving my own life and opening the door and the channel to information of actually a couple of dead people who started stepping in and giving me information, which I did not believe in, that started this whole thing. And it was me getting down on my hands and knees and praying and asking for assistance, which is intention, which is prayer, which is meditation, basically saying, please help me with this. And I literally, one thing after another, the cracks, in my own psyche were happening and that light started pouring in. I ended up being put in James Von Prague's house, you know, one of the first psychic mediums that people might know about. He's got dozens of books. I started working with him. He said, you're a medium. And I said, oh, I'm still a small. But at that time, I really, really didn't believe in this work. And then it was the psychic, it was the military psychic spy who I started training with, who, who helped me make sense of this. These are the people, there's, um, you know, uh, many of you probably know this, but there's a terrific movie out on Amazon. It's a documentary called Third Eye Spies. It is the history of the, the psychic awareness people, uh, excuse me, the psychic awareness that developed into remote viewing. And this that, became that was Buchanan, part of the right? CIA. Lynn Buchanan, Buchanan, yes. Yeah, yeah. Yes. I've seen All several uh, interviews with him, and he's, he's a character. That guy's he's sharp, isn't oh, he? he? Well, 
he, he's well. They're all wonderful. I mean, the ones that I've met with, uh, met and worked with, Joe McMonagall, um, and of course the people that they have taught too. But in order to sort of like round out this question that you had, I literally was working with law enforcement to help me with a stalker. And I, in turn, turned around and started working for law enforcement on homicide cases. So I was in this, uh, it was crazy, crazy times, crazy, crazy times. And it was literally those wonderful people from Lynn Buchanan and those people that were working with him that helped me understand this. And if anybody is interested in this, you know, Lynn Buchanan still teaches. He also has one of his dear students, Lori Williams, L-O-R-I Williams. Um, Of course, I'm still in touch with Joe McMonagall. And Joe, of course, and he and his wife, um, uh, Scooter Honeycutt McMonagall, she was Bob Monroe's stepdaughter. And Bob Monroe, who had the Monroe Institute, which is one of the greatest places anybody can go, it's the largest um, center for expanded states of awareness. And a lot of people know about um, the Monroe Institute because of being interested in out-of-body experiences, but that's not why I went there. I didn't care about rolling out of my body. I wanted to stay in my body while I was having these psychic awarenesses. So there's so much in the book about teachings and things that I, you know, did in order to to help myself. So hopefully that will be interesting to people. But it truly is. Everyone has their own journey, and that's what's important. Exactly. And that this, I'd like you to, because I know my interpretation of these two sentences, but I'd like to hear mm-hmm. what, what you meant behind these. Teachers come in many forms. So even the stalker could have been a teacher, right? Yeah, absolutely. And then the second, oh, my goodness. second sentence, how they show up in our lives is an exercise in trust and tolerance. Now, that yeah. can go a bunch of different ways. What, how, how do you mean that? Well, first off, I want to thank you for being so on top of these quotes. Um, you're the first person in the last year. I mean, the book's been out a year and a couple months now. But you are the first person to have found as many quotes that are relevant to you. And I just want to thank you for that. That really helps the listener, and it also helps me. Well, my God. You're very welcome. Um, those... <laughs> Listen, stalker, you don't want to think of a stalker as a teacher. You know, the last relationship that you broke up with, you know, the husband that you divorced. Um, Everyone, anybody that shows up in your life, whether you like them or not, is an opportunity for you. You know, by the time the book ends, as you know, there's a culmination of the book, which is all about forgiveness. And I truly believe that this is, what the dead intend for us to understand because when when you die and you haven't completed uh, various things or or ironed out relationship problems you are still on some level um, handling that when you're on the other side and us too we're here in the physical form and we have the opportunity to still be working on these problems working on these issues and it is when we can heal it and when we are ready to heal it, that they too can heal on the other side. It's it's forgiveness on both sides of the veil, David. Right. So if I can interject right there, so if you look at the holographic nature of the universe and how it really works in yeah. quantum entanglement and the, that space and time is an illusion, and, and there it makes sense. Of course, those vibrations are still going to be present until they've been cured or or slowed down or, or raised up. They're, they're going to be there, whether the person is incarnate or not. That vibration is still present in this torsion living universe. And well, what, um, well, what I, the dead have that we don't have is they have the opportunity to separate from the body, and the body is what holds all those issues in the tissues. Exactly. That body that we're walk this this body that we're walking around in has all of the problems, all of the joys, all of it in it. But when the spirit separates out of that body, there's a memory of these issues. 
that the consciousness has. But it's the physical body that retains the problem. You know, when you're on the other side, you don't have cancer, but you have the memory of the cancer. But I can't tell you how many people, when they leave their bodies, are like, oh, my God, what did I do to my body? I can't Hmm. believe it. And that's why so many people are in – excuse me, go ahead. When you see people, do you you always see them younger and healthy and vibrant? Like you mentioned your father when you saw him after he had passed. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I've had in my dreams – where I had conflicts in the past and someone has come to me in a dream and they're young and pretty and, and uh, speak differently. And, and that's yeah. an expression, I guess, of their, in Sanskrit, it's uh, Sara means flowing, uh, mm-hmm. expressing mm-hmm. health. So uh, is, is that, you find that to be true too, where it's usually the expression well, yeah. of something more pure. Yeah. But you know, I, I have to back up and say, this all happens. Remember, I didn't believe in this talk of the dead stuff. So working with Tom Campbell, who is this physicist, this, all of this happens because of this amazing benevolence of this larger consciousness system. I mean, we're not talking about a little man on a, you know, on a throne. We're not talking about an ideology. We're talking about a system that we're a part of all the time. It's mm-hmm. just there. It's there for us. It's there to be incredibly benevolent. It's not there to fix our problems. It's not there to make a certain team win instead of us. It's there to keep showing us over and over again. I love, here's my joke that I love to tell people. You know, remember the joke about the man who is trying or is asking God to save him when the floods come, you know, and the boat comes by and says, come on, Jim, get in the boat. And he goes, no, 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 the Lord will save me. And then Mm -hmm. he gets, of course, to the top of the roof and a helicopter comes or, or a speedboat comes and he gets to that top of the roof and the helicopter comes. Oh, no, no, the Lord will save me. Well, of course, the guy drowns, and he's on the other side, and he's talking to God and said, why didn't you save me? And God says, hey, you dumbass, I sent you two boats and a helicopter. <laughs> right, exactly. So, so, so what we're looking at is how we have this extraordinary opportunity in the flesh to understand the system that we're working with, whether it's about our physical system or when we die or when someone that we love dies, how we can continue this healing dynamic that we're all a part of. Absolutely. And it's and that, not, it, excuse me, go ahead. Sorry. There's probably plenty, lots of listeners right now that might be stuck, might be depressed, mm-hmm. might have anxiety and wondering. And going to another one of your quotes on page 285 um, and talking about going through everything that you went through, moving these emotions and expressing them on stage prevented them from getting stuck inside my body. Emotions yeah. that could make me sick and debilitate me. God gave me the opportunity to integrate the light and the darkness heal the brokenness yeah. and find compassion for the humanity of the wounds. I was so grateful yeah. and I had an outlet for these elements and in here trying to help people heal. It's very, very yeah. difficult to move to helping themselves because society teaches us yeah. that priests will tell you what to do. The doctor wearing the white coat will tell you what to take, go to the grocery mm-hmm. store, eat this, watch the TV. And now we're saying, right. no, 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 you got yourself. So if yeah. someone is in those positions, what kind of advice could you get them to start moving towards this healing process? Wow. Wow. Well, wow. That's a wonderful question. I'm, I'm, I'm actually just really emotional hearing you, hearing you read that because what you're doing, David, is you're letting me know that the words that I wrote had an impact And I don't think that um, many of us 
are walking around understanding our value. You know, we had a caller that called in right before you and I got online and we were starting to talk to her. And the whole point, she asked me a question and I said, you have to focus on you because it's your value that you have to learn. It's not somebody else loving you. It's the value that you Mm -hmm. have inherently. And Mm -hmm. God, God, this larger consciousness system, gave us this spark of life. And in the deprivation of being abused as a child, not by my father, but by my mother, when you have that kind of brokenness, that kind of trauma, you're always wondering, am I loved? Am I enough? Because if your mother isn't treating you well, then you're really screwed up, right? So that dynamic of finding, 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 looking, looking, looking. And I was precocious and I had talent. So I didn't like being who I was. And my mother hey, walked. If any of my rugby buddies are listening, can you define precocious for some of my buddies? No, go ahead. I'm sorry. <laughs> Keep going. Um, but I, I didn't know who I was and I didn't like who I was because that's what was reflected back to me. But my mother liked the television. And I thought to myself, well, if I can get into that television set, maybe she'll respect me and like me and not hurt me anymore. Mm-hmm. And that's exactly what I did. And when I got on stage in kindergarten and I saw my mother's face lit with joy, I went, okay, this is how I get her to like me. I'm going to become a successful actress. Well, in that, I got to play different characters and different roles and things that I, I mean, my goodness, I got to be a witch and I got to be a swan and I got to be a pilgrim, you know, and Cinderella Mm -hmm. growing up. So when you don't know who you are, finding a way to pretend as an actress or something or just play, that's why adults really need to keep playing, whether that's a baseball player, whether it's a bowler. All of the things that we're capable of doing, we get to express things. And that means moving the pain and the trauma out of our bodies. You know, I um, used to get on my bike after dinner with my parents because sitting with my parents at dinner was a nightmare. So I didn't want that stuck in my body. So I would ride my bike and I would exercise it out and I would move it and move it and move it. And that's part of what we don't do as adults. We will sit and we will stew. We will watch the frequencies on news stations that will tear us apart. We will watch television. Even Hollywood, I blame Hollywood for a lot of stuff, with, especially when it, it has, happens to do with um, war or, or trauma. We don't need to reinflict the wounds. We need to heal them. We need to see therapists. We need to go to meetings. We need to go to AA or CODA or Al-Anon. You know, we are a codependent society that's been based on our fathers and grandfathers being war veterans. And I am telling you, any of you who are listening to this, understand that somebody in that family has been medicating themselves with either alcohol, pills, whatever. And that creates a codependent child. And that child is constantly looking for love outside of themselves. And, Absolutely. And they get it in the wrong ways. So when mm-hmm. you talk about healing, it's literally about taking the first step. And it's about getting a team to help you, whether it's a nutritional team, whether it's a Would it be awareness team, first, though, whether, Marla? Well, awareness well, first? Honey, listen. I'm sorry. I just called you honey. But the dynamic <laughs> is we're all working. We're all working on this together. They're aware by listening, David. They're Mm -hmm. going to go away from this conversation with lots of information, and they—it's not like they're not going to be aware. They're going to be exactly. And if they read, that's my point. That's what I'm saying, Marla. That just by listening this conversation, and they bring awareness to something that that's happening within them, they're getting better already just by listening. And well, that's people, true, but they have to do something about it. They have to take right, action. Yeah, yeah. And just for the listeners, uh, like I mentioned, the book was fascinating, and and I don't normally read books like this, and it was mm. it makes me want to read more. Um, 
of this genre. But what Marla went through is was horrific, and I could and you can feel in her words what she was going through and, and the pain it was causing. And, I'll, and I'm, I'm at a quote right now, and, and I'm sorry if my voice crackles because it was very, very deep. When she was talking about her tormentor, and I don't mean that derogatory any more than just a description of her mother, when she was passing, when she was dying, Marla actually wrote, and it's a very short sentence, it says, my greatest teacher and adversary was leaving. My greatest teacher and adversary was, was leaving. So teacher and adversary are in the same sentence. Yeah. So when we define things and we, we attach an emotion to them that this is bad or this is good, and we carry those, those vibrate and they, and they stick in. So even it's our perception yeah. of what has taken place that makes it worse. The event in itself, like right. the Dalai Lama, he giggles like a kid all the time. He's not going to attach to anything. As, as a species, we need to do more of that. And what I preach here is that if you choose a side, you're fueling a conflict. If we don't choose a side and we don't have a belief, and to me a belief is something that we're not 100% sure of. We're, we've taken a position. So if we don't take mm -hmm. any positions or take any sides and we flow, it's much easier to get that vibration out. Wouldn't you agree? Well, that's. Well, well, there is something about that that's true, but I got to tell you, here's where we, here's where the victim perpetrator dance that I went through is something that is necessary. When someone uh, who has passed um, hurt you, you need to make sure that you talk about it. The point is the issues and the tissues have to be worked out. If you, if, if a parent or a, a former loved one or, um, uh, you know, whether a, a wife or a husband dies and you have issues with them because of the way that they behaved, you really need to sit down with a photograph of them and tell them exactly how you felt about them. Part mm. of the problem is this puritanical Bible stuff about honoring mother and father. Well, that's great for various reasons. I kind of want to toss out the Old Testament and just take the new one. Because the, the bottom line is uh, Christ came and showed up for a reason. And that Old Testament was filled with lots of wrath and, you know, things that we don't use much anymore in this, in this lifetime. You know, whether it's slaves, etc. But the dynamic of this is you must hold people accountable when they have harmed you. And that's one of the things that is really mm. dicey about parent, parental stuff, anything. You must, you must make sense out of the fact that they have hurt you. And, you know, there's a lot of narcissists and codependent relationships in, in the world. And narcissists like to tell you that you didn't, that you didn't experience that, that although that didn't happen, that's called gaslighting. But the bottom line is you know it happened. You felt it. Mm -hmm. You experienced it. You have the wealth on your skin to remind you of what happened. The point is you must hold them accountable. Now, what I mean by that is understand inside your soul that there was a reason that you had to stand up against this. You know, there's a lot of narcissism in my book. You know, this was way before the Me Too movement even happened. And I came to Los Angeles and there was narcissism and I lived with the mafia. I had to stand up to mob bosses. I had to mm -hmm. make a stand for myself because that's what I needed to learn. Hey, so, anyone that can go to Cuba wearing a tube top, oh, I, I, you're probably pretty tough. Well, let me just tell you, getting, well, you know, you, you mentioned Cuba, but the listeners don't know that I was emotionally hijacked after being raped, and I ended up in Cuba. Long story, but it's worth reading. Mm -hmm. But the dynamic Definitely. of all of it is you have to be able to take a stand for yourself. That's called self-love. Good we, point. You know, when we, have, when we have people, you know, that get need to take, as, as one person just said earlier, about getting, you know, uh, taking a stand for themselves, you know, um, supporting their own spine, uh, making, making a demand that someone behave a certain way, or at least setting up boundaries. This is crucial, people. It is literally about self-love. 
And, you know, at my age, I figured this out, that it's still a process. It's still a process. And there's days where I get kind of irritated and a little snippy, and I have to call myself on that. It's my responsibility now. I don't blame my parents for anything. I signed up for this. Right. I signed up Let for me. It. We've got 10 minutes, and there's two people that would like to ask a question. I'm hoping you get to them. Sure. But I want to read the creme de la creme of all your quotes. Remember the one I said that <laughs> really sinks in? And then we have to, since that's your specialty, to speak to, to communicate with the dead, then you can expound on this. And this is found on page 306, and it's, it's, um, it's profound. This could be the whole point of karma, to allow the dead to now bear witness to the effect they had on their loved ones and others while they were alive. They see, hear, and feel how they affected us. Yep. On it the other side. To yes, they do. To acknowledge their behavior, right? Just you said you got to stand up, acknowledge their behavior, find ways to heal it, and then forgive it. In turn, they can yeah. heal too. I could not yeah. be who I am, live the life that I've lived, or experience the many challenges and joys I've known without being the daughter of your parents. Those are yes. the gifts that came, that, that came out of all the pain. They had disconnected from spirit, from each other, from my sister, themselves, and me. The separation from love, this is big. The separation from love is the root of pain. The separation of love is the root of pain. So if we don't love ourselves, how the hell can we love anyone else? Well, the right? point is this. If you're, well, if you're being traumatized, it's really hard for you to love yourself because the people exactly. that you've, entrusted, you've been entrusted to are not showing you love. This is what I'm saying. My father was a World War II veteran. He came back in a body cast from being blown up in a Jeep, and he, was, he suffered my entire life from that, and he drank because there was nothing else for him to do. Because that dynamic, even though he was a good provider, he was tortured. He was a captain at the Rainbow Division at, the, at uh, 26 years old, and he came back ravaged from war. And the wives of our fathers at that time, they didn't know what to do. My mother seemed crazy. She was not mentally well. She, too, popped pills. These people that we were entrusted to did not know what the F was going on in their own lives. And once we understand that they were broken, deeply broken, we too can have the utmost compassion. And it took me 50 years to figure this out, David, that mm-hmm. people are literally, literally doing the best that they can, even when they're not doing the best they can, and even when they know that they're hurting people. It's the best mm-hmm. that they can do. And what we have to do is recognize that, get boundaries around it when we, when we don't want to be around it and ask for help because that help will come and it comes in many different forms. And we have to trust. We have to trust that this larger consciousness system that we call God is going to help us and deliver us. And it does not the way we want, but exactly what is necessary for us. Mm-hmm. Wow. Very good, Marla. I'm telling you, I read this book and so many of these little sentences popped out. And it's mm. it's it's a very good book. Anyone that's listening, Amazon.com is where I got it. American Psychic, Marla Fries, please support her and her work. Uh, go to her website. She offers consultations. Uh, definitely a wonderful person and would be a tremendous amount of health, help. Oh, uh, good. Marla, Thank you. Got, I just want to... I want to let them know it's um, AmericanPsychicBook.com is the book website, which will link to MarlaFreeze.com. If you fill out the contact form and mention David, I'll be sure to get you in as soon as possible. I I am booked through um, the month of October into November, but I will be working all through the holidays. So I'll be happy to work with you, and I work by phone all over the world. Okay, you want to try a couple calls? I have, I haven't screened these. I have no idea. Sure, um, you, absolutely. You probably, are you there? Area code eight three one. Um yes. 
Real quick. Thank you for sharing. One um, sure. Um, I would like for you guys to take the other caller because I, I was blessed enough to be able to talk to you. And I'm going to. Oh. Oops. I'm sorry. I can't hear so you. So much. Look, we lost uh, her. Oh, yeah. okay. well, thank you. Sorry, we'll thank take you the other listening. one. I look forward to Okay. okay. Thank you so much. Hello, area code 216. Are you on? Yes, I'm on. Yes, I was just uh, listening. Oh, you didn't have a question for Marla? Um, Oh, you're calling to listen. Well, Marla, well, we got that one figured out. I guess they were calling and listening at the same time. So I'm not the most tech savvy guy, but we we handle a couple of calls there. Now, um, I do, since we got a few minutes here, so now if you look at some of this, I've done some studies quite a bit on near-death experiences and multiple personality disorders. And mm. people with MPDs, they'll actually, their eye color can change. The matter will change. So that means the energy is changing, which means that there's some yeah. intelligence or information coming in to change the energy, which changes the matter. And by the same token, isn't it? yeah, it's very interesting. So then you as an actress or an actor – would take on different roles. Would you mm-hmm. say that, that, and I'm just trying to throw out things to help people heal and think about it, that if they find themselves okay. doing things like that, is would you say that's a coping? And if it is coping, is it also healing? Well, let's, let's, um, let's make it very clear. As an actress, you're taking on different energies. Sometimes, you know, I, like the last stage show I did, I played Marlena Dietrich. And I really do feel that I tapped into her consciousness. But, you know, that's, um, that's a way of expressing yourself. And acting is really quite wonderful. It's a way to do that. So I do suggest anybody gets the opportunity to either be in choir or being in community theater. That's really wonderful. But when you're talking about other energies entering the body, I would be very, very careful about that. Because unless you're being guided and assisted, you don't know what's coming in. And there are lots of different energies, whether it's deceased loved ones or energies such as, you know, there are ET energies. There are other etheric energies that love to get um, uh, attached to people, especially when they are not in their right consciousness. You've heard the term spirits when you're drinking alcohol. You can only imagine what might show up when you're at a bar and you've had a couple of drinks. Now, that might loosen some of your psychic awareness and make the veil thin, but it's crucial. If you're going to do this work to take care of your body, your mind, your spiritual consciousness, I don't do drugs. If I have a glass of um, booze once a month, that's pretty much for me. It is seriously a very finely tuned vehicle that I'm working with. And I really respect and love my clients, so I don't want to mess with that. Mm. Now, if you're really interested in working and learning about this, you know, some people like and have used plant medicine. I would be very careful about that. Not and that by you plant can't medicine, have an you mean hallucinogenics? Like hallucinogenics? Well, ayahuasca, you know, yeah. I, things like that, you know. I'm not saying that they are forbidden, but I am actually saying I would not do these things more than a couple of times in your lifetime. I've known people who have gone schizophrenic, had uh, psychotic breaks, have ended up in the hospital, and are just not the same person. I don't think you need to be able, have to vomit or crap your brains out to see God. I agree okay. with you. I've been invited so many of those things, and I'm like, I just don't see that as uh, yeah, you know, it's not my thing. No, no. And but but some people are really, 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 really frozen in a in a certain way. And I've worked with people who have family members that are completely psychotic, and you know, on some level, maybe LSD would be helpful for for them, but not without the most stringent of assistance. I and you know, ayahuasca is not legal in the States. And there are places where people are constantly doing these shamanic um, experiences. And I would be very, very careful about this stuff. Go to the Monroe yeah. Institute where there's no drugs and you can access altered states of consciousness with brain entrainment. But be very careful what you choose. I agree. 
I, I see plenty of people that have done several of those ceremonies, and uh, I haven't seen a big, huge turnaround. Not too often. I yeah. hear a lot, lot more problems. But this has yeah. been wonderful, Marla, and we're running out of time very quickly here. And uh, I am just... Thank you, David. Thank yeah. you. It's an amazing yeah. adventure with you, and I hope we can do it again. And Marla may even be here in the spring, guys. So keep an eye out for that. But again, Marla Fries, American Psychic, wonderful, wonderful guest, wonderful human being. Please support her. Buy her book. Talk about her book. And thank you, everyone, for joining us. This is Dr. Truth, uh, Ancient Teachings and Universal Truths, Dr. Truth, David Jameson. Please come back next month. I will try to get someone as good as Marla next month, too. <laughs> but thank you, everyone, and take care thank of yourself. Thank you, everyone. Thank, thank you. Thank you, Marla. Bye. Thank you, David.